Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and this is Brian, and I am joined here today by Brandon Swift from Tenkate. Brandon, how are you today? I'm fine. Brian, how are you going? Doing, doing okay, and uh, we're recording this during the global pandemic, and I hope you're surviving and uh, thriving, in fact. I'm down here in, in Melbourne, Australia, so we're uh, still confined to barracks. Today's a, a big day in our lockdown. We're allowed outside for two hours a day <laughs> instead of one. Well, you know, I think if uh, we were doing that in the U.S., we wouldn't have such shocking numbers. So hats, hats off to the Australians for, for having good procedures and, and policies in place. And I know... It gets frustrating and trying and, and uh, overwhelming at times, but I think it's really what what's needed. If people would stay away from other people for two or three weeks, I think this whole thing would go away. Yeah, yeah, it's been an unusual year. For, for yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a civil engineer by background and uh, in some ways you could say I was always going to be a civil engineer I'm the oldest son of a civil engineer who was in construction and mining for 40 years so I don't looking back I don't think I had a choice I was always going to end up being one and yeah I ended up I graduated into a, uh, a recession and fell into a precast concrete industry for seven years which was excellent and, and um, you know I was always the youngest guy in the room so I had a lot was always learning and you know being thrown into new roles and, mm-hmm. uh, I took a year off in 2000 went back to business school and did my MBA and, and ended up this is how long ago it was Brian you I applied for a job out of the newspaper <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ended up getting a job with a company, and and uh, I've stayed 20 years. Just left in February, and the the company um, was uh, a strong presence in juice synthetics down here in Australia and New Zealand, and uh. and that was my uh, that's where I've ended up and spent the last two decades. And and earlier this year, just changed employer, and we'll move from Australia to to Asia and join Tenkata Juice Synthetics. Yeah, so civil engineer and just taken slightly different routes uh right right yeah well, that, that's great so you, you don't come from a mining background was it uh, industrial or what was your what was your background in the previous role yeah so i, I grew up in a, a mining town so i'm familiar with um and my father has always worked you know 40 years with fleur he built any number of hmm. mining jobs around australia but um, through the, 
through the company I was with, Geofabrics in, in Australia, we, we did a lot of mining work with, um, we had a, for a period there from the late 2000s into the 2014, we had a uh, once in a century mining boom. So we were supplying a lot of projects and helping designers open up new mine and oil and gas sites. So yeah. all sorts of um, applications, whether it would be particularly building infrastructure on soft soils, um, which is generally mines are in remote locations and soil right, conditions right. where you don't be giving, but also containment, um, you know, around the tailings or the water processing ponds and solving all those type of water related issues um, mm. through the use of our products. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, what your your company now? They're they are a geosynthetic supplier manufacturer to the world, right? Yeah, correct. So Tinkata Geosynthetics is one of the bigger players in the in the geosynthetic industry. Uh, three legs, geographic legs, very strong in the Americas. Europe and the Middle East and then we've got the Asian leg as well and that's the one I've joined uh, joined in March and with COVID I've only spent two weeks in Asia so I'm six months behind schedule but yeah, um, yeah. It's, they've been they've been excellent in terms of support so oh, I've been trying trying to do everything from the front room <laughs> yeah yeah and and uh, so far as I can tell Tankata's claim to fame with mining is the geotubes. Yeah, so mining is a broad industry. Geosynthetics play a role across a number of applications. But in terms of Tenkata, the, the area that, that is um, the most visible and exciting, particularly as a newcomer, is, is the geotube dewatering. Um, and that people automatically think that relates to you know big tailings facilities and so forth where in actual fact with mine sites uh, water is a big challenge you've either got too much of it not yeah. enough of it right it's in, the, it's in the wrong place it's of the wrong quality <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you you want to dispose of it but it's the wrong color and so forth so um, my role since March has been to help our Asian team structure better. So we're a civil, have been a civil orientated company and structure ourselves better for the mining sector. And the geotubes are a perfect example of that where um, we've got great capability and some fantastic case histories showing what we've done over many years. And um, yeah, we just got to get that, that coordinated and communicated and um, I'm quite excited by it. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's it's the product that's the most visible, and I guess uh, inverted commas the sexy one. In the yeah, story. yeah. And and for anybody who doesn't know what a geotube is, maybe you could describe what it is and how it's used. Yeah. So they're essentially they're very large geotextile tubes, um, and when I say large, they can be any. They can be up to. 100 meters long they can be 36 over 36 meters in circumference so we're dealing with quite large textile tubes and 
the, the background is, you know, my memory's right, the late 60s and 70s, you know, these type of technology was coming out of, um, I think, the Netherlands primarily, uh, mainly for hydraulic and marine works in terms of coastal revetment buns and so forth. But over the years, as, as the engineers' understanding of them uh, improved, there's been, it's, it's evolved due to dewatering um, or due to applications of the come into hydraulic and marine applications, but also dewatering. And dewatering can be industrial waste, such as pulp and pulper mills, or yeah. can be um, abattoirs. But also silt and sludges is a, a big part of it. And that's where, um, you know, mining, mining industries really grab them. And um, so, yeah, Tenkato's really been the innovator, pioneer and leader in terms of um, geotextile tubes and, and, and geotube dewatering. Right, yeah, that's fantastic. And when I think about geotubes, I think about low production rates, and that's the same thing that most people think about with filtered tailings, that we can go maybe eight or 10,000 tons a day without... Uh, any real complications and, and I think that so far also the geotubes have been used for some of the smaller production rates but I, I don't see any reason that they couldn't be um, used at a larger scale yeah what the feedback I've been getting is that people have a perception that you know a, a geotube project can be a one or two tube job and that's 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 it and yeah in actual fact the scale of the projects that we do now are way beyond that so whilst we would never claim to say you put your you know 10,000 ton of tailings a day through the yeah. <laughs> through the tubes um you know we, we've done projects where we've put you know over a million cubic meters of slurry through tubes and pulled out 170,000 cubic meters of dry solids. You know, and these are tubes that are 61 meters long, 36 meters in circumference with pump rates, you know, 350 to 500 cubic meters an hour. You know, we can stack them in, in, in one particular job in Indonesia, yeah. we, we stack, stack them seven high. So I, I guess your point is right that don't view them as a cleaning out one pond with one or two tubes. They can actually be of a scale that's, you know, far beyond that. Um, yeah, I know a, a friend of mine who was in charge of a gold mine in Greece, and they used the geotubes there for their tailings management, and he seemed quite satisfied with the performance. Yeah. And I there's a bit of an art in, you know, every mine site's a bit different. So we've, you know, done pretty much nearly every kind of ore body, you know. The, there's a bit of an art in, in the tube itself, but a little bit of an art in terms of getting the polymer dosage right to get that water quality coming out huh. uh, as good as it can be. And um, 
I think people would be very surprised at how, how much of the sediment and waste is retained and the quality of the water coming out. So it can go in quite brown or yeah. quite discoloured uh -huh. uh, and come out nearly crystal clear. And that's, um, huh. that's been proven time and time again. Interesting, interesting. So uh, are, are you able to talk about what kind of testing is done before there, there's actually um, the geotubes delivered to the site? Yeah, so normally a, uh, an inquiry would go along the lines of, we've got a problem with water on site. Um, and it could be as simple as our sediment ponds um, have silted up and we don't want to build any more. We just want to dewater the, the sludge. Or it can be, you know, a little bit more complicated that we want water of a certain quality coming out and we want to reuse it. Right. So, and we would generally try and work, get, get some samples of the sludge and then do a couple of quick tests. So that can either be done um, depending on remoteness, could, could be done on site, but it could easily be done in, in, in a, it's not even a lab, you know, it can be done yeah. in a warehouse. Right. And, you know, there's, uh, there's two types of tests and, and both very small scale. And that quickly allows us to identify um, the dewatering characteristics um, and what type of polymer would lend itself towards enhancing that. Um, and then, you know, we've got some a trained network of installers and partners that, that, that help sharpen up our knowledge. So, so without, do, without even moving to a pile project, uh, sorry, a pilot project on site, yeah. you can quickly figure out, um, you know, just by tipping sludge through the beaker and watching it dewater and then doing a few tweaks with some, some additives, you quickly work out which way the, on the decision-making matrix or pathway where, where you're heading. Mm. So okay. they're quite low touch, no cost, yeah. quite efficient. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That's great. So do you have, do you have any uh, case histories that you could tell us about where these things have actually been used successfully? Yeah, we've, we've pulled together a, um, a, you know, a bit of a summary case histories actually, because it, it was, we've done them all around the world and we've done, um, you know, coal, gold, silver, copper, you name it, bauxite, uh, rare earths, all types of um, processes. The larger jobs we've done in Asia have been around um, getting the sediment out of the sedimentation ponds, um, allowing people to use the, 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 to stop them building new ponds, I guess, and, and, and containing the sediment. Generally, you're in low-lying areas in Asia. You've got a lot of water coming in from rainfall as well as, as the process. Um, so there's, there's a number of projects we've done of large scale where we've, we've actually helped them um, clean up their ponds, remove the sludge and contain it off to one side. We've also done jobs, doing one at the moment in Australia where the mine site wants to reuse the water, but it needs it at a certain quality. So we're pumping, helping them, um, you know, pump from their existing ponds, um, 
dewatering it and reusing the water back through the process. But we've also done jobs where um, there was a silver mine in uh, uh, Indonesia, I think, where they they wanted to actually get into the waste stream and I, guess, I don't know what the word is, but maybe reharvest it or resort the waste and try and extract a little bit more uh, okay. value out of it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Maybe the maybe the price had gone up. Um, right, right. Huh. Yeah. But yeah, so we've got a we've got a rich history of, of, of case studies. There's some interesting ones where we've done it um, dewatering waste underground. We've done ones using them as berms in um, in certain mines and applications. So using the waste to create um, you know, to, to raise the height of structures as well. So oh, people that's are interesting. Hey, I was going to ask you about that. If anybody's used it for dam building. Yeah, yeah, and and the, one of the benefits is um, the using the mine waste, you know, you know, I guess right. in a beneficial process. So. Right. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, I've got I've got any number of um, you know, we've got some rich case histories, Brian. I'm always we're always willing to share them. So, um, yeah. yeah. Can you think of any specific examples where? your product was used and it really did make all the difference uh, to your client that they wouldn't really have been able to accomplish without this? Yeah, we've had this. One was a, um, uh, a tailings dam that was at risk of overtopping and mm. you know there was major storm events and yeah. but they had to keep the process they wanted to keep the process going so um through the use of you know quite a number of geotubes they were able to get the water level down and only i think they may have closed the process for only a couple of weeks rather than a couple of months or longer yeah. but it was quite a it was one of those emergency we got to get that dam under control <laughs> get the water out of it yeah but before they could discharge the water they had to um clean it up and using the geotube was their way of cleaning it up and there's been a few jobs like that where rather than taking the water and putting it back in they take the water and and push it into the river stream and so forth so that was one example where it was a little bit of an emergency but there's been any number of examples where uh mine sites particularly around you know whether it's a temporary spike in demand and they don't want to invest in upfront all the capex of mechanical dewatering just say let's i'm just happy for a year or two of um of opex with geotube dewatering to keep the process at a at a higher production rate yeah, yeah. You know, examples like that as well so. yeah what are some of the difficulties that places have with the geotubes Um, I mean, they're quite a simple product and solution. Right, right. Uh, where they can get into trouble is by taking, viewing the geotube as the solution in itself. In actual fact, it's just one part of a system. So, even though it's quite a simple system, if, you know, we've had um, people ring and say listen it's not dewatering at the rate it should have been um it's or it's some instances we've heard not from tenkato but from other you know it's burst or so forth so it there's a 
the polymer, getting the polymer dosage and recipe right is very important in terms of performance. So there's a spending time on that is important. And also understanding the, the performance limits of, of the tube. And, and by that we mean, um, for example, the job we did in Indonesia with the, you know, where we took the 170,000 cubic metres of dry solids out was yeah. you pump, the, pump them to 2.65 metres high on that job and then you let them dewater and come down and then you pump them up again. But sometimes people put on a huge uh, pump and away uh, you go. Yeah. And it'd be, big, be like big. putting a big engine in the front of your car. Right. Bigger is better, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's not always... You, you, if you've got to view it as a bit of a, a system and play within the strengths of the system, I think. Um, so there's some of the, there's some of the common, I wouldn't say difficulties, but I guess some of the common problems you find on site. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you see coming up in the future for the geotubes? I think we're going to see, people look at them to push the scale so um, the, the largest job we've done at the moment we've stacked them seven high and hmm. for example we've already looking at uh, a project that touch wood will come off next year that we're going 10 high which is actually quite a you hmm. know a gear tube stack of you know, nearly 25 30 meters yeah in height yeah quite impressive yeah so I think the scale of the jobs will always increase. Um, I think they will become increasingly well accepted. Uh, the mining industry tends to be a little reserved or cautious um, in terms of new technologies. For sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think that we've we're seeing some some companies take the first steps along the lines of we'll give it a go on this site and then hopefully once that's proven a success, then the engineering community, you know, the word gets out progressively. So, so I think to your question, I think you'll see increased scale and common, more common acceptance. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. Uh, I, I think uh, it's one of the technologies that is really going to be a good solution, especially going forward at the, after the, Mount Pauly tailings failure, the, the uh, expert panel there said that filtered tailings really is the way of the future. And I, I'm pretty sure most of them wish they could take that back because there are other really good um, technologies and applications and the geotubes certainly are uh, one of the solutions that's a very positive step forward compared to conventional um, tailings disposal yeah. yeah and it it has its place it's 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 not the solution but it's a yeah. solution yeah just so, like anything else there is no one magic bullet that's gonna cure everybody's ills yeah yeah, yeah. okay now this has been really educational and one of the many benefits of me having this podcast is that I get to get a little bit smarter on each episode and I appreciate you, you uh, sharing sharing your wisdom and experience with us and uh, Brennan if somebody wanted to get a hold of you 
Uh, how? What is your email address? So my uh, work one is B dot and then Swift with an E on the end, S-W-I-F-T-E at tenkatageo.com. So T-E-N-C-A-T-E-G-E-O.com. Yeah. Otherwise on, on LinkedIn as well, Brian, that's, right. that's just, just as fine. Yeah, there's probably not too many people with the same spelling of your name, so you should be pretty easy <laughs> to find on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, which is how we met. Yeah, exactly. I um, Because I've come into the uh, with a new employer, confined to barracks, I've spent a bit of time doing a lot of desktop research, so I've, I've uh, stumbled on your name and your podcast, and I've you've been one of the, on the... The regular rotation through the last six months. So, well, well, that's great. I, I hope I can keep uh, keep you entertained and informed with my podcast. <laughs> no, it's been it. It is actually quite educational. So, I congratulate you for it. But, oh, um, and I'm I'm very flattered to be able to come on. Yeah, no, I appreciate you spending your time and, like I say, making me just a little bit smarter than than I was this morning. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, Brandon, any uh, words of wisdom or, or parting advice before we say goodbye? Yeah, I, as part of the preparation, Brian, I, I was reflecting on um, when I started out my career, I came into employment in a uh, recession. And um, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of graduates about to enter the market and in probably not the best economic times, although the mining sector might be one of the stronger performers. Right. But um, yeah, it made me reflect on how lucky I've been to work in a largely, in, particularly in Australia, you know, we haven't had a recession for, since 1987, but, but I was just, you know, just thinking about what opportunities arise in tough times and how perseverance and resilience get you through. And, and uh, I think this, I think it'll be the same for a lot of people in the mining community. They're probably, some are probably not unaffected and others are, you know, probably been on mine sites for six months, unable to get off. And it's, yeah. it's, it's opportunities right. will come for, for yeah. the next generation yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also graduated during a recession, mining recession, I think it was a previous one to yours, uh, but it was a, it was a difficult uh, time to find a job back then. Unfortunately, I did find one in the industry. I graduated with some engineers that I am sure never worked as an engineer because of that industry downturn. And so, yeah, like like you say, you gotta persevere and and just keep keep at it and and be. Just keep keep looking. Be determined to find something in your field. Yeah. And, and if all else fails, you can look in the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might not be committing in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brandon, that, that's great. And, uh, we're up against the clock, but I appreciate the time you spent with me and I, I wish you all the best and hopefully we all come through this pandemic uh, better people than we went into it. Now, I uh, thanks very much, Brian. I wish you all the all the best in uh, 
with the podcast and beyond. And uh, thanks very much for, for giving me the opportunity to have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, all the best to you. Okay. Cheers, bro. Cheers. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.